Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and we are cruising through our sophomore year here and have an engaging guest today um, who's going to shed some light on one of the most, I think, underappreciated and most confusing parts of the entire financial planning world, uh, and that is Medicare, Medigap. Uh, and all the various types of health insurance for retirees. So our, our guest today is Danielle Roberts. She's a founding partner at Boomer Benefits, which is a national agency specializing in Medicare-related insurance products. She's been doing this for 15 years. She's a pro, and we're all going to learn from her. So Danielle, thanks for being on the show this morning. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to talk with you today. I, I, really, uh, I really have a lot to learn. So I, I need you to, to begin, I guess, before we dive into all the nuances and all the things that, that our listeners need to know about health insurance beyond age 65, which I presume is, uh, is the, the lion's share of this conversation. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got, uh, how you got started and, and uh, how you found this as your calling. Sure. So I started an insurance agency in 2005, and I originally used to work with group health insurance. And a curious thing kind of happened. Uh, When you sell group health insurance, you work with a lot of self-employed people. Many of these people are in their 40s with families. They're looking for coverage for themselves and a few employees. And I did that for several months, and I started getting calls back from the people that I was helping with their insurance saying, hey, you know, you helped me with this group product. My mom is turning 65, or my dad is turning 65, and we're trying to weed through this Medicare stuff, and it's really confusing. Do you do this, or do you know anyone who does Medicare? And of course, I didn't, because I was relatively new in the industry myself. And after I had that question several times, I thought, well, let's look into Medicare products and find out why we would get this many calls about this. And it turns out that Medicare is a beast. It's a huge national health insurance program with four parts and 10 supplements and literally thousands of drug plan and supplemental options. And when you turn 65 in America, you've usually had employers picking your health insurance your whole life. And now you're kind of thrown to the wolves with a national health insurance program that you know nothing about. So we started learning it. We became experts in it. My brother and I um, own the agency together. And slowly as the boomers have aged into Medicare, it's just taken over our business to where now we don't do any other type of group or individual health products at all. We work strictly with Medicare because the demand is so high with 10,000 boomers aging in every day. We're able to get plenty of business in just this one segment of the insurance market and we're able to help a lot of people by doing it. When you say Medicare is a beast, I think that's the greatest understatement ever. It, it really is the nine-headed hydra of health insurance. And so you've, <laughs> you've been able to carve out this niche for yourself. There's such a great demand for it. And as financial advisors, we get asked a lot about Medicare and which plan should we accept. And I, I truly um, have to almost opt out of providing that advice and have sought folks who could help answer that question. Um, do you work nationwide or are you, are you solely in Texas or how does that work? 
So we're based in Fort Worth, Texas, but we help people in 48 states. The only states that we're currently not in are New York and Massachusetts. Amazing. Okay, so you're going to be a resource not only for our listeners, but for our clients and their families. I know that's what's going to come out of this, Danielle. So help us with that first step. You know, there's a lot of confusion. We, we have, because of our proximity to Washington, D.C., we have a lot of clients who are federal employees, some of whom mm. have retiree health, some of whom have retiree health that includes a spouse, some who don't. And that also is incredibly tricky and a mistake can cost tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over someone's lifetime. So how do we navigate this and how do we, you know, from selfishly, how do I help and our, our firm, how do we help our clients navigate this? Yeah, and it's a great question because we've spent a career trying to figure out how can we create the best education in the simplest terms because one of the things I tell people, we do a, a bi-weekly webinar for people that are new to Medicare and I always tell them, you know, set aside that stack of mail that's sitting on your desk or kitchen table, stop answering the telemarketing calls. We need to start with the parts. And so they really need to spend my advice is a good six months at least before they're turning 65 with educating themselves about how Medicare itself works because it's quite confusing. And once you have that down, then you can move on to the other plan selections that you have to make. So time is really your friend when it comes to Medicare. And also one of the things that you can learn when you're going through all of this and which surprises many people when they turn 65 or getting close to it is Medicare isn't free. So it, your healthcare costs and retirement do need to be a part of your financial planning with your advisor. And once you find out the parts of Medicare and how those function as the foundation of your coverage, it then begins easier to talk about the supplemental options, whether you wanna add drug coverage. And if you wait until the last minute, it increases your anxiety level so much. So again, time is your friend and make sure that you start early. There's lots of great education, not only on Medicare's website, but on YouTube. So if you learn, if you're a good audio visual learner, that's a great resource to go and learn about the basics of Medicare. Uh, I have a little over 15 years before I have to enroll and my anxiety is already high. Is that bad? <laughs> I think uh, a lot so, of people feel the same. Okay, so let's talk about the parts. Um, there's there's part A, B, and D. Are there others? Is there a C? Why did we skip C? Yes. So part A and B are the original two parts that have been around since the 60s. They're modeled after the old Blue Cross and Blue Shield hospital and outpatient coverage because that was very popular in the 60s. So you enroll in parts A and B with the Social Security Office or Railroad Retirement Board if you retired from the railroad. And part D is separate because actually for over 40 years, Medicare had no outpatient drug coverage. So in 2005, we had clients spending $10,000 a year on their out-of-pocket diabetes medicines. Fortunately, in 2003, there was the Medicare Modernization Act, which created Part D, and that rolled out in 2006. And so that's why Part D is separate from original Mart Medicare Parts A and B. And for many years, you could only have A and B, and you had an option to add a Medicare supplement if you wanted to, but there was no other types of coverage that you could choose from. And so that has also changed here in the last 15 years. And they've created Part C, which is the Medicare Advantage Program. And the best way to think about this is you have your original Medicare A and B. At 65, if you have no other coverage, you definitely need to enroll in that. And then you're going to either add Part C, which is the Medicare Advantage Program, 
or you're going to add a Medicare supplement with a standalone Part D drug plan. So there's, I like to tell people, although we have all these words and all this confusion, if you don't have employer coverage, which is something separate, retiree coverage, we can speak about that as well. If you don't have that, you only have to choose between two main routes that you're going to go with your coverage. And the Medicare Advantage program is simply a way for you to get your benefits through a private insurance company instead of Medicare itself. You use a network of providers and therefore the costs for Medicare Advantage are lower because the insurance company has a little more control over you with that network. Um, And that's great that we have two things for everyone to choose from so they can decide which route is the best for their needs, budget, uh, preferences, which doctors they see and what networks they participate in. You can narrow it down and decide which route you want to go. Now, now part A, part A, as we understand it, is not something that comes at an extra cost. Of course, we've paid taxes on it our entire working lives. So it's not that it's free, it's that it's paid for at this point. Um, yes. if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And it's something that even if you don't need health coverage, if you're 65 and you're still working full time for XYZ Corporation and you still have group health coverage, you don't need to enroll in parts B, D or Advantage or any of the other things, but you do need to, to put part A in place. Is that correct? Yes, most people will want to enroll in Part A. And as you said, it doesn't cost you anything, so it can't hurt you. It could possibly reduce some of your spending because it will coordinate with your employer group health benefits to lower your costs in an, in an inpatient hospital stay event. So if you work for a large employer with 20 or more employees, most people will stay with that coverage as their primary insurance, they add Part A as secondary. And the only reason that you wouldn't want to enroll in Part A would be if you have a high deductible health plan and you're contributing into a health savings account, you can't continue contributing in that once you enroll in any part of Medicare. So if you are going to continue doing that, then you would also just wanna skip enrolling in Part A at 65 as well. Interesting, because we love HSAs. I think they're one of the greatest inventions uh, in the tax code, and it, it's certainly one of the things we talk about. Now, healthcare spending. Healthcare spending is a, a major issue for retirees, and you know one of the things we, we tell folks is that, number one, you're going to live longer than you expect to, um, and number two, life is going to be more expensive than you expect. And this is one of those areas where it's, it's geometrically escalating, um, how, do, how do we deal with that? How much do we set aside for these things? And this doesn't even include the cost of long-term care and such, which mm-hmm. Medicare does not pay for or, or pays only a small sliver for. And I'll ask you to talk about that in a minute. But between long-term care and the, and the Medicare piece, health insurance for retirees can be a very big ticket. Yeah. And that's why it's so devastating if people don't realize that going in. You know, the average social security check i think is around $1400 a month medicare part b for most people costs around $144 a month well that's 10% of your medicare or your social security check right there and that's before you pay for things like deductibles copays and coinsurance or buy a supplement to help you with those things so i've seen a study by fidelity a few years ago that said the average couple age 65 would need almost $300,000 for the cost of healthcare and retirement. That includes your Medicare expenses and also things like long-term care and things that Medicare doesn't cover like dental vision and hearing. So it does need to be such an important piece. And one of the best ways that you can start to plan for that is to estimate what Medicare would cost for you today. So if you're 50, 
go ahead and learn enough about Medicare to be dangerous. <laughs> Estimate what you would spend on Medicare at this very day so that you can get a realistic idea that, hey, I might spend $300 a month out of pocket for Medicare and my supplement. Then we've got a factor in 15 years of inflation and you need to be hitting, you know, maybe $500 a month or so that you're putting away for that possibility in retirement that if you don't have retiree coverage or something that's provided for free, that you might spend that kind of money on your health care. So what does Medicare contribute toward long-term care expenses? Were those related to um, custodial care or skilled care or the various types of things? Because there's, there's, I think, a lot of confusion as to what Medicare will and won't contribute towards. Yes. So Medicare cares only for your medical needs. So if you are in a long-term care facility, the doctor that visits you, those that cost for his services is going to be paid for by Medicare. What Medicare doesn't pay for is the actual facility that you're living in. If you're in assisted living or a nursing home, it doesn't pay for if you're still living in your own home and you need custodial care, if you need someone to help you with your activities of daily living, like bathing, eating, dressing, even cooking and cleaning. Medicare doesn't pay for any of those things because that's not a medical service. So the only thing that Medicare does provide in that realm is if you've had a three-day hospital stay and you are released from the hospital, but you're still recovering. Let's say you had something like a stroke or even something like a hip surgery and you have wound care going on, you need skilled nursing for a few days, they'll release you into a skilled nursing facility and Medicare will provide up to 100 total days of coverage for you to recover with the idea that you're gonna be getting back to living independently and able to care for yourself. The first 20 days Medicare pays for, the second uh, part, the, the remaining 80 days, if you didn't have a supplement, it would cost you $176 a day for staying in that skilled nursing facility. So if you don't have a supplement, you'll find that that nursing facility will quickly try to graduate you out of the skilled nursing because they know that many people can't afford to pay that copay. So just knowing that you're going to go into Medicare and you may later also have long-term care needs means you have two separate things that you need to plan for because Medicare provides so little on that front. This sounds daunting. Um, and for, for any 64-year-old uh, folks who are listening and, and, or for people whose parents are 64 uh, or even people whose grandparents are 64, this is the kind of thing that we need to, to really uh, dig into. Now, some people confuse Medicare with Medicaid, which is a completely different agency. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference there? Because I know there's some confusion for folks in that regard as well. Yes, and you can actually have both. So Medicare is your national health insurance program that was designed for people age 65 and older. And now it also covers certain people with social security disability or who have diseases like end-stage renal or Lou Gehrig's disease. So you might qualify for Medicare early if you have one of those factors, but the bulk of the people on Medicare are age 65 and older. So that's what Medicare provides and it's not related um, to income in the same way that Medicaid would be. So Medicaid is a federal and state jointly run program that provides healthcare for people with low incomes. And you can get this uh, early in life, children can get it through the CHIP program if their parents have low incomes, and also seniors can qualify for it. And so if you qualify for both Medicare and Medicaid, 
Medicare would be your primary insurance and then Medicaid would kick in to help you with paying for the cost sharing that you have on Medicare, things like your hospital deductible, your outpatient deductible, the 20% of outpatient coverage that Medicare doesn't cover. Medicaid can step into function like a supplement. And in that case, you would be limited to using doctors that accept both Medicare and Medicaid. The Medicaid pool of doctors is smaller, but the upside is that you would pay very little out of pocket for things if you have Medicaid. And Medicaid is also the program that you can apply for if you've spent down all of your assets and you need to be in long-term care situation and you don't have anything left really, then you can qualify for Medicaid to pay for your long-term care needs. That's certainly never the best situation. You have very little control over what facility that they might put you in and where that is in relation to where your family is. But it is um, an option just because a lot of people don't know to save for this and they find that they get into their retirement and then they start having problems with managing those activities of daily living and they need long-term care, but they don't have long-term care insurance and they don't have enough savings to pay for long-term care, then Medicaid can be an option for that piece. So people people are living longer, not always living better, but living longer um, and often working longer. And one of the things that we espouse to our audience is that retirement is bad for you and you actually shouldn't do it. And the, the, the idea behind that tongue in cheek is that the idea of disappearing or retreating is not good. Financial independence is a, a wonderful goal. Working because you love it and because it keeps you engaged or volunteering because it keeps you engaged is very, very different. So that's sort of uh, the, the backdrop of this next question. We have lots of different age thresholds for different types of planning. And it's a lot to remember. And all of those ages are starting to stagger up. So for example, the catch-up provision for 401ks or IRAs is age 50. The catch-up provision for HSAs is 55. Um, Social Security can start as early as 62 with some limitations. Uh, Full retirement age has gone to 67. Um, Maximum Social Security uh, age is now 70 in terms of your accrual of benefits. Required distributions have just moved, thanks to the SECURE Act, from 70 and a half to 72. It, it's really a lot to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Um, are there situations where you would need Medicare, but not to claim Social Security? So even though Social Security and Medicare are linked, they're linked on your pay stubs as you're paying taxes, uh, and then they're linked in terms of their, their delivery from the government, um, but you don't have to enroll in both simultaneously, correct? Absolutely correct. Yeah, you can, especially today with so many people working well past 65 and they want to delay taking their social security so that that check can mature and you get better delayed retirement credits, you can continue working at your employer and postpone your enrollment into Medicare while you are still working. I want to avoid the third rail that is political conversation at all costs. So let's not go down that road. Um, And let's only talk about solvency of the Medicare system, because I think there's some fear. um, And I don't know how material that fear or how uh, logical that fear is. But there's idea that both the Social Security Trust and the Medicare Trust may at some point become insolvent or be forced to reduce some benefits. So without politicizing one way or the other, how concerned are you about that as someone who, who um, who is involved with this so closely? I would say that for people in my generation, which would be your Gen X folks, you might have some concern about or or it would be realistic to believe that by the time we get there, I'm currently 46, that Medicare may not pay for as much. Social Security may be somewhat reduced because we do see every year 
that they say things like Social Security will be insolvent in 2034 and Medicare Part A will be insolvent in 2026. And those numbers seem to creep closer. That being said, I do think that both Social Security and Medicare are very necessary national programs. They're much loved national programs. And so I expect that Congress will step in uh, before it's too late to shore up these benefits and help them to last longer. Um, We saw that in the 80s where there was some legislation that was intended to make the Social Security Trust Fund, Medicare Trust Fund um, last longer and extend the life of it. But I do think it's reasonable to think that what is offered today may not be the same as what is offered uh, when we get there. And so with all the planning that you have to do for the current Medicare program, you also have the possibility that it may not pay as much when you get there. And it's something that as a nation we do need to look at and certainly come up with some solutions for because there are so many people that do retire and rely on Social Security and Medicare. And I think we would have a huge mess if those programs didn't exist. I I tend to agree with you. I think you're right. At this point, it's become part of the fabric of our financial conversation, and and people are expecting various things, particularly those folks who have paid for them. So there's that. Um, The the, the 2026, this idea of insolvency in 2026, and I'm not holding you to that date, of course, but when those kinds of statistics started – uh, all of us thought 2026 we'd have hovercrafts and be, you know, jetting <laughs> off to other planets, because I, I can remember, and I, I'm I'm a few years older than you, but but not many, and I can remember sitting around in second grade thinking about how old I would be in the year 2000 and how that's never going to happen. Um, so here we are, 2020. Uh, but now we're getting close, and Congress has this this funny way of kicking things down to, mm-hmm. to future Congresses so that they can avoid those third rail conversations until it's almost too late. And 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 again, this is not one party or the other, but in general, um, Congress tries, I think, real hard to to uh, to bury their heads in the sand and not pay a whole lot of attention <laughs> to something until it's a crisis. So how close to crisis are we? Is that, um, is that hyperbole to a great degree? And um, what do you think are some possible solutions? And again, I'm not going to hold you to this. I know you're not running for office, and neither am I. Um, but what are some possible ways in which you could foresee adjustments to the, to the plans um, that would feel reasonable, at least to you? Yeah, the, my brother and I, we talk about this quite a bit because it's very frustrating to us that Congress kicks the can on this, especially when it's such an enormous part of our national um, spending, our national budget. It's something that needs to be focused on. And I think they kick the can because no politician wants to be the one that was involved in cutting a national program. However, you know, we could employ some of the things that we've used in the past. So, you know, it used to be that you would get Social Security earlier and now you might age in at 66 in two months or 67. That is That has been extended that direction. Um, we see rumblings now and then of something similar like that happening with Medicare. So, you know, currently people enroll in Medicare usually at age 65. I think it's very likely in the future that we'll see that be progressed to 66 or 67 or even 70 for multiple reasons. One of them, including that so many people today choose to work well past 65 and have access to those employer coverage benefits. But another way that to shore up the program, there's an interesting bill that's out of uh, Michigan about a program called Medicare at 50, where we would take the exact current Medicare program and we would allow people to buy into it earlier. 
And that type of coverage theoretically would be less than what you might spend on an individual plan through the healthcare exchange if you're no longer working and you have to buy your own health insurance. And it's possible that they could make that cost a little bit more than it does for someone at 65. And maybe that's the way we generate more money coming into Medicare. So we know that they're going to have to address it with things like that. And I think you'll see those ages go ups of when people eventually do get there. You might also find that like right now, Medicare pays for 80% of your outpatient expenses and you cover the other 20%. It could be that that coinsurance changes, maybe 75% is Medicare's and you owe the other 25%. You might see deductibles on these pro- on these programs get larger. So your share of your cost on Medicare may be bigger than uh, what they are today. And all of those things, eventually some Congress, one of these years is gonna have to sit down and hammer out um, to extend the life of these programs. Um, I think we'll see some of those things happen. They may not be happy about having to do it, but it is something that they won't be able to kick the can on forever. Danielle, I changed my mind. You are, uh, you're elected. Um, I think that's terrific. <laughs> I, can you solve Good. the entire thing for us in the next four years? That's all I want to know. I'll um, try hard. Thank you. That's so helpful. That's going to make everybody's life easier. So um, is there anything else that we need to know about the Medicare program? I know there's what's referred to as the donut hole, which mm-hmm. I think um, it's it's a cute, uh, a cute thought, but what does that mean and how does it impact folks? Yeah, this is great because one of the things when you're looking at Medicare, if you are turning 65 and you have access to group health coverage, Medicare itself is primary for small groups. So if you look at the way that that insurance interacts with employer coverage, when you're choosing whether you want to stick with your employer coverage or transition to Medicare as your primary insurance and add on a supplement and a drug plan, the most important piece of that decision needs to be looking at your drug coverage because with employer coverage, you have pretty good, usually drug coverage. There's no deductible on that for most employers don't have a deductible on the drugs that's separate. Well, Part D does have a deductible that you pay up front. It's $435 on most plans, which is a lot. Often the co-pays on employer insurance are lower than what you would get with Medicare Part D. And so if you're someone that takes a lot of medications, you're going to incur that deductible. You're going to be paying for Part D. You're going to maybe have higher copays than you would have at your group insurance. And you're exposed to the dreaded donut hole. When Congress created Medicare Part D, they had to find a way to encourage, I'm saying that in quotes here, encourage beneficiaries to use generic cheaper drugs whenever possible. If they just covered everything, everyone would get the brand name drug and Medicare Part D would be astronomically expensive. So they created this thing called the donut hole where if your drug spending goes beyond a certain limit in a calendar year, you fall into the donut hole. And it used to be in 2006, all of a sudden your drug coverage would just stop and there would be this big hole in the middle where you were paying 100% of the cost of your drugs again. Now, that has slowly been reduced after the Affordable Care Act, they've been reducing that. And so now when you fall into the donut hole, the most that you'll pay is 25% of the cost of your medications. So while Part D is covering the majority, if you're paying 25% of a $400 medication on Part D, it's very likely that that $100 copay would be less if you had kept that employer coverage with the drug piece. 
So if you're in a situation where you have access to employer coverage, you need to look at the drug piece very carefully before deciding to leave that coverage and go on Medicare, because often the Part D may not be as robust as what you are getting from employer coverage. So one of the tips I always tell people if they're thinking about, should I stick with my group insurance or should I go on Medicare, is we need to look carefully at your drug usage and let's see if that's going to cost you a lot more when you go on to Medicare. If it does, maybe sticking with your group plan for now is really the most cost-effective route to go. Danielle, this has been enlightening for me. It, it has not only given us, uh, all of us, some information we can use, but it's also showed me, at least personally, how much I don't know. Um, mm. And um, we're at that point in the show, I, I wish we had a, a two-hour show. I, we could do a webinar anytime uh, because there's so much information here. But we're, we're at the point of the show where we need to put you on the spot and get an extra credit assignment from you, which mm-hmm. is that one actionable, the one takeaway that folks who spend a half an hour with us can walk away with and make a, a difference for themselves as they, as they look to graduate into their own retirements. Yes. So whenever you do enroll in Medicare, When you turn 65, you're given what's called an initial enrollment period that's personal to you because it's based on your 65th birthday. So that initial enrollment period is gonna begin three months before you turn 65. It will go through that birthday month and it will go for three months after. It's a seven month window. So during that window, if you don't have retiree coverage or employer coverage and you're needing to make a selection for Medicare benefits, it's really important to understand that Medicare itself has no pre-existing conditions. You don't have to worry about that to sign up for Medicare Parts A and B. But Medicare supplement plans have a one-time six-month open enrollment period during which you can sign up for any Medigap plan with no health questions asked. Once that window is gone, it's gone forever. And people get this wrong. They think this open enrollment period in the fall that they hear about is a free pass into a Medigap plan and it isn't. The open enrollment period in the fall is all about enrolling in or changing a drug plan or an advantage plan. So if you have a chronic health condition that would make it unlikely for you to qualify for Medigap coverage, you cannot miss that one time six month window. That's your one chance to get into a Medigap plan without having to worry about having any pre-existing conditions. And I love to make this point because people get this one wrong all the time and they're devastated to find out later that they can't get the coverage that they want. So familiarize yourself with the enrollment periods and what they mean. That's a great place to start with your Medicare education so that you can learn when can I enroll, when can I disenroll from certain plans. And just know that that seven month window and the decisions that you make within that could affect your coverage for the rest of your life. So it's well worth the effort and doing the research ahead of time. That's a sensational extra credit assignment. In fact, I'm marking my calendar for 2036 right now. I know it might be a tentative, <laughs> a tentative thing, but it could happen. And you're right behind me, so let's not let's not lose sight of that. So, Danielle, yes. I wanted to talk so much about so many. You, you've published so many articles and so many things, and I want our audience to be able to find you. I've seen you on uh, Boomer Benefits. I've seen you on 60andMe.com. I've seen you on Forbes.com. What's the best way for folks who want to reach out to you and learn more and possibly utilize your services? to get in touch with you. Sure. We're very easy to find online at boomerbenefits.com. Our services for Medicare beneficiaries are completely free. It doesn't cost anything. The insurance companies that we ultimately help people sign up with pay our commissions. 
And so if you want to do some good reading ahead of time about Medicare, you can head on over to the website. And then on almost any social media, you can find us, um, particularly on Facebook, uh, we have almost, we're, we're closing in on half a million followers. So if you have some Medicare questions and you'd love the opportunity to pitch them to myself and my team at no cost and get some answers, maybe on some things that we didn't cover today, you can go to our Facebook page. From there, you can join our private Medicare Facebook group. And in that group, I regularly answer questions for people about Medicare. They can post them and our, our team will be happy to answer them for you. You've been a fantastic guest. Danielle, thank you for joining us on Don't Retire, Graduate. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today and remind you to please subscribe on one of your favorite streaming sites or at don'tretiregraduate.com. Post comments, ask questions, and please share the show with your friends and colleagues. For now, until next time, this is Eric Brotman, your host and valedictorian saying, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward, let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.